Um, okay, so uh, let's pray and then we'll dive in. Dear Lord, we thank you for the time that we can spend together. We thank you for the fact that you are here. You promised to be here. We thank you that you want to speak. And um, Lord, we just pray that you would, uh, yeah, that you have permission to speak. Lord, we want to hear from you. And Lord, um, we want to just not just hear, but to uh, change, um, to be more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so a disclaimer. Um, I feel uh, like I'm going to share some stuff that you guys have heard a million times before. If you've been in church for any length of time, I apologize in advance. This is like a message that you, yeah, you would have probably heard a bunch of times. We're going to be talking about Jesus in the wilderness, his temptation in the wilderness. Hands up if you've ever heard a, a message on that before. Yeah, okay, cool. So that's exactly what I thought. And again, I'm sorry, but... I also feel a deep conviction and a deep like burden for this. And, and even though I've heard it like a bunch of times repeatedly, like over the past few weeks in various formats. So um, it feels like I should apologize, but it also feels like let's get excited and let's not uh, let familiarity uh, kind of make us kind of shrug. Um, so I have a question for you guys. Uh, what do you think of when you hear the word identity? All right, feel free to shout things out at me if you want to. Christian. Cool. That's a very godly answer. Appreciate <laughs> that. Anything else? Gender identity. <laughs> or maybe uh, hobbies. Or vocation and like career, um, maybe family of origin. You know, we tend to that. Like, oh, I, I don't know about you guys. I'm going to project myself onto you, but that tends to be like what me and I think a lot of other people tend to go to. We kind of make it about attributes, right? We make it about attributes of ourselves. Um, yeah, like I wonder if someone were to ask you, "Who are you?" How you would go about answering that question and where your mind would go. Um, the, the interesting thing, because, you know, obviously when you prepare a message, you've got to look at definitions. So the, the word identity means uh, sameness or oneness. Uh, that's, like, you know, that's where we get the word identical from. Like, you know, so um, sameness, oneness, sameness and oneness of what? Sameness and oneness of ourself. So you're, you're the same uh, it, it, your identity is who you are in any situation, right? That's your identity. It's like, well then, but who am I? Like, what? Because are you the same in every situation? Um, is it reasonable to assume that you'll be the same in every situation? So, yeah, identity is like a puzzling uh, thing, and it's something I think that we, I mean, particularly during our teenage years and our young adulthood, um, we kind of, like, that's one of the main things we crave and we try to search and find out and, like, promote. And in the world today, I mean, like, you don't have to look far to kind of hear the word being thrown around in all kinds of different uh, contexts and facets of life and, and political stuff and whatever. Like, identity is really important to human beings. And yet... I don't think we ever really fully get it. Um, and yet, I also think that God desperately wants us to get it. Um, and so tonight, uh, that's what we're mainly going to be talking on. Um, and 
what we're going to be exploring it through the lens of is how temptation is a direct uh, um, adversity or a direct opposition to your identity. Um, and so, so that, uh, that's in a nutshell where we're going. Um, but, uh, um, you know, yeah, going back to like, how would you answer, you know, who are you? You know, you'll probably start off saying something like, uh, well, I am uh, uh, a, uh, I'm a 20 something year old or in my case, 33 year old or 32 year old. I am, uh, you know, you might talk about your career or, or your, your area of study, might talk about your family or, or where you came from. Uh, I am, uh, you know, I, I am a father and I've got two kids and whatever, right? Um, we use the statement, I am. And the beautiful thing about uh, the Bible and, and God's claim is that he is the great I am. That's his name, uh, Yahweh. He's the great I am. He is I am, period. There is no other thing that comes after it. It is a statement of absolute identity. It is a statement of absolute presence. It's a statement of abs- just absoluteness. Um, and I think when we start to try to define who we are, um, we always go to these really temporal, um, uh, non-concrete things. Like, I'm a father now, but... I don't know what tomorrow brings. I am a doctor now, but I don't know what my, like, you know, I am, you know, whatever, like they're temporal. They're, they're, they're not guaranteed. They're not certain. But if we really want to know what our identity is, I think what we need to do, if there is such a thing as a real identity, I think it has to come from somewhere concrete, somewhere that will not change. And so the logical answer and, and the biblical answer is to find our identity in God because he is the great I am. He is the absolute um, and he will never change. And guess what? He is interested in you and me. He cares. Uh, we literally sang songs just before about like he loves us and like he's really like he, he really loves us and he's really wanting to be in our lives like that, those aren't just words. Like, that is the, that is the gospel. Um, so, uh, yeah, so God is the great I am. Uh, open up Matthew chapter 4, but then, like, uh, swipe back to Matthew chapter 3. We're going we're gonna to be mainly landing in Matthew 4, but, uh, which, is, which is the whole uh, story about Jesus in the wilderness being tested. But literally, the, the story just before, at the end of Matthew chapter 3 is where Jesus gets baptized and the heavens open up and the Holy Spirit comes on Jesus like a dove. And God says these words in Matthew chapter 3, God the Father says this in Matthew chapter 3, verse 17. Behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my son, who I love. With him I am well pleased. Um, This is Jesus' identity, right? He is my son. I love him. I am well pleased with him. Um, and obviously, this is Jesus' identity, right? Like, okay, so the, the surprising claim here is that not only is Jesus Messiah, which is something that we are supposed to get from, from that story, um, but we're also supposed to get, and from the, 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 the chapters leading up to this, but we're also supposed to get like, oh, Jesus is actually God's son. Jesus is actually equal with God. Jesus is God. 
uh, and, and God the Father is saying that. That's a surprising claim here. But it's not just a claim about Jesus. It's not just a claim about Jesus' identity. This is my child who I love, with whom I am well pleased. This is supposed to be you and I's identity. This was supposed to be our identity from the very beginning. Um, and through rebellion and through our own problems and the world and sin and da 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 we have rejected that. But God's call is to bring us back to that place where that is our identity again. And um, that's the story right before Matthew chapter 4. Um, just... And just quickly, before we, we go to Matthew chapter 4, I just want to kind of break down that statement that God the Father says. So he is God's, Jesus is God's son. Uh, that's a statement about where Jesus came from, right? He came from the Father. He's, he's the son of the Father. Um, that he is loved by the Father, unconditionally loved. Um, and that's a statement about where you belong, Right? Who loves you and who you love is, is your community. That's, that's where you belong. That's where your heart rests. Um, identity, uh, that's, that, that, yeah, I mean, so where you come from, that's a core element of who you are. Um, where your community is, where your love is, where your heart rests, that's a core element of your identity. And then last but not least, uh, that he is well pleased, that God gives him unconditional approval. Jesus at this point hasn't done anything. He's not healed anyone he's not given any sermon he's not taught anything this is before his ministry begins and god the father says i am pleased with him um unconditional approval um and that's what our purpose is god jesus's purpose and his uh um his value uh existed there before anything and that's part of our identity as well so i just i want to frame that because this is what Satan will attack Jesus with uh, in what we're about to say. I just want to kind of like bring it to your attention before we dive in. So who, where you come from, um, who you belong to, and what your value and your purpose is. Okay? And, and again, every single one of us, we might have a, a way to answer that. Where I come from, well, uh, I come from Egypt and I moved here when I was this age and blah, 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 you know, whatever. Um, or th- this is my family and this is their blah, 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 blah. Um, no, that's temporal, right? Like that, that's not actually concrete. There is something deeper. Where you come from is from the mind of a beautiful, loving creator God. Um, that you're unconditionally loved, where your heart belongs, where you're, where you're valued, where your community is. Okay, I go to church and da 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 da, da. Uh, Or, you know, I'm, I'm part of this uh, community or I do this and I love playing this sport and I'm really valued in this that place or that place. Like temporal, temporary, not not. Concrete, you belong to a father who loves you and he is eternal and there is nothing you ever need to do to earn his love. And there is, that love will never change, um, uh, whereas any other love potentially could. Um, and approval, um, oh yeah, I, I, like, I earn six figures and uh, I'm, I'm an influencer and I got this many million followers. Temporal. Forget it. That's not where your approval comes from. Your approval comes from the fact that God made you and he made you a masterpiece and he loves you and he did not make a mistake when he crafted you in your mother's womb and he has a plan and a purpose and a will for your life. That is where your approval should come from. So these three elements, these three elements of identity that we all have, uh, we choose to define it through temporal things, but God here 
gives Jesus and also each of us a framework of like, it's in me. It's in me. Your identity is in me. I'm the one who, who you belong to. I'm the one who loves you unconditionally. I'm the one who approves of you no matter what. Um, and you can rest in that. Your identity can be found there. And, and that's a good foundation to anything else that you discover in your life. Yeah. Okay. So let's actually have a look at Matthew chapter four and see uh, um, how Satan challenges this and how Jesus responds. So, Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus, so right after that story, uh, you know, the Holy Spirit descends, God the Father says that. Right after that, then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And I'm sorry, I'm going to pause here. And yes, we're going to do this a lot, so I apologize. Um, So, what did you notice there? The Holy Spirit, after descending on Jesus and this affirmation from God and this statement of identity, you know, what happens? It's like, all right, come on, let's go to the, to the wilderness by yourself, I, alone for 40 days. And, um, uh, and not only that, but like, you're going to be tested. You're going to be tempted by the devil. And the Spirit leads Jesus there. That's a weird thing for a loving God, Father, to do to a son. Um, what is that about? Um, I kind of want you to sit with that, and I kind of don't want to answer that. But obviously, that's why I'm up here. So, um, uh, yeah, look, there. I think I think we should start with the word tempt. Okay. So, tempt. Uh, it, it can it can mean shades of things when we think of tempt we mean well we immediately kind of think to ourselves uh to do something wrong or to fall in a like you know to to stuff up and to kind of horrendously um like hurt ourselves or other people right like i am tempted to uh cheat on a test and when i'm tempted to cheat on a test and I get caught that, well, not only is it really bad for me and like, that's a horrible thing for me to do, but also like it has ramifications and I might be kicked out of uni and blah, 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 right. Um, or I'm tempted to cheat on a partner and then, okay, that has massive implications. Even if I'm not caught, it has massive implications on my then relationship to my partner and, and a bunch of other things. So, uh, that's w- where our head goes when we think of that. And, and that is part of it. Uh, Satan definitely here is not, tempting Jesus to not have him do something bad. He, he's trying to get to Jesus to do something that he's not supposed to be doing. But, um, but uh, tempt also means, more broadly, test. Test. And what, what does a test accomplish? It reveals things, right? A test, when you sit down and you take a test at uni, uh, it's going to reveal how much study you put in whether or not you actually understood your coursework and, and all that kind of stuff, right? Um, when you are tested uh, in terms of like you, you go through something hard um, and you come out on the other side triumphant, it shows elements of character and da-da-da-da-da, right? And I mean, the Bible literally talks about that in other passages. So the word here, I, I think it would be very good for us to, to, to replace the word tempt by test. Um, the Spirit takes... Jesus out to the wilderness 
to be tested um, by the devil, by the devil. The agent of testing is the devil. Um, and we're not going to get into the rabbit hole of the devil and, and uh, all of that side of things. Just, just want to say one thing about the devil, and that is that if you do not believe that there is an evil, uh, a, a spiritual evil um, in existence uh, that is active in this world um, and that really desperately wants to harm you, um, I, I get it, but also that's what the Bible says. Uh, and I know that it can be very hard to swallow, wrap your heads around, or sometimes we go to weird extremes with that and, and whatever, and you might know people or, or you know, other churches or whatever that kind of make you feel uncomfortable about that. But bottom line is the Bible says that there is evil, um, that that evil is embodied by uh, a being, um, and then that being, uh, that creature of evil, he wants to hurt you. And he wants to destroy you. He wants to corrode you. Um, and the way he does it, that's really the focus of this story. Yeah? Um, uh, and the way he does it is not just to Jesus. Think about this as well. Uh, sorry, the last like preamble thing. Think about this as well. Uh, this story, unlike many other stories in the Gospels, this story is Jesus alone. So who did this story come from? Jesus, right? No one's there watching him, documenting things, taking mental notes. Jesus is by himself. So who told this story who, who, to his disciples? It was Jesus, the one who experienced it, right? And it's quite, quite, it, it feels different than other parts of the gospel. And, and, and I think that's intentional. But, um, but the whole thing is that, is that Jesus told this to his disciples for a reason. And it wasn't just, hey, look, look at what I did and look what happened to me. He told it to his disciples because this is training. This is prepar- This, what Jesus goes through here, is not unique to any of our lives. Uh, whether, whether you call yourself a follower of Jesus or not, uh, you will be tempted and tested. Uh, and you will be tempted and tested at your core. Your, your, your identity, your very heart is being uh, uh, fought, battled for, fought for. And, uh, and Jesus is saying, be on guard. This is a battle that we're about to read. Um, and then one, I promise, last thing, wilderness. So taken into the wilderness. So wilderness is a place of lack. Wilderness is a place of isolation. Wilderness is a place of hardship and struggle. Um, and uh, it's, it's, a, it's a sucky place. You don't want to be in the wilderness. Um, and wilderness, if you know your Bible and you kind of like, you know, following themes and trends. Uh, Wilderness is a place that other people have been in before, and it's an important place. It's a place of testing. It's a place where God will either accomplish something or people will fall short. And by and large, most of the time, it's people falling short. So um, Jesus here, and and primarily the the main thing we're supposed to kind of draw a connection with is the Israelites when they were in the wilderness, because they were in the wilderness for 40 years. Jesus is in the wilderness for 40 days. Jesus here is being set as the Israelite, uh, the one who hopefully will not fail where the other Israelites did fail. Um, so anyway, so, okay, all right, I promise that's it. So um, verse 2, after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus was hungry. Verse 3, and the tempter came and said to him, if you're the son of God command these stones to become loaves of bread. 
All right. So Jesus is a human being. He's also God, but he's a human being too. And uh, he fasts for 40 days or 40 nights. That will make you hungry. Um, and any human being can attest to that. It's quite miraculous that he made it 40 days. And uh, he, um, in that place of physical weakness and frailty, um, Satan comes to him. The, te- the, te- the tester, the tempter comes to him. And what does he say? If you are the son of God. Yeah. So again, it's a direct attack towards literally the end of the last chapter, like his identity, right? If you are the son of God. Hey, Jesus, look around you. You were just with all these people. God just publicly declared like, and now you're suddenly here. There's a disconnect here. What's going on? You, you, you've been starving. You've been left alone for 40 days in this wilderness. And what God led you out here? What? what? Are you the son? If you're the son of God, like number one, I guess, why are you here? But number two, like, go on, turn, turn. Like, you really think God wants you, your father wants you to starve out here? Turn this stone to bread. Like, and prove, prove that you're the son of God. Because you've got the power if you're the son of God. Why haven't you already? Well, you think God, your father, wants you to, to be suffering like this? And what, what Satan is ultimately doing is he is trying to doubt where Jesus came from. The, the very first thing, right? If you are the son of God, God the father says, this is my son. He, I, he came from me. He's trying to make him doubt where he came from. And the, the method and this is really, 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 really important. The method that he's trying to use to make him doubt is by appealing to his appetite. Yeah? And his, appetite, his literal appetite, he is hungry. And so he's saying, you're hungry. Why would God make you hungry? Are you sure you come from him? Are you sure that you're his son? Why would he make you hungry? Ladies and gentlemen, this is literally probably one of the most common ways that we get tempted um, and, and that our identity gets put to the test and how Satan tries to kind of push against us. Why would God want you to be alone? Why would God want you to not, you know, enjoy this relationship? Why would God not want you to just have a fun night out? Why would God... You have appetites, normal appetites, healthy appetites, God-given appetites... Um, you have these appetites and Satan uh, will try to kind of point at these appetites and say, surely God would want you to have this appetite. Why aren't you feeling it? And what he's actually doing is he's kind of making you doubt, well, is God there? Does he really care? And ultimately, like, will God meet my need? This, this need that I have, right? And uh, uh, so... He says, turn this stone. Take matters into your own own hand. You're hungry. Just do it. You can. If you're God's son, you can. You're lonely. Just go on Tinder. You can. Does God really care? I mean, if if you're his son, like daughter, like surely he wants you to be fulfilled and have a relationship. Like, what does it matter, you know? And one concession leads to another concession. All in the name of, all in the name of, Filling an appetite. Yeah? All in the name of, this is a need I have. 
and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take matters into my hand and fill that need myself, right? And uh, look at the way that Jesus answers. He says in verse uh, 4, Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. In other words, uh, hey, there's something more important than my physical needs, and that is God's needs. What he quotes here is Deuteronomy chapter 8, um, verse 3. And this is pretty profound. Jesus clearly is like, he's, he knows the deal. Like, none of this is, like, he knows the deal. And we're going we're to read Deuteronomy chapter 8 in a second, um, just as an aside. But, um, uh, uh, yeah, he knows the deal. And what Deuteronomy 8 is about is it is Moses talking to the people of Israel and talking to them about how they failed. Uh, in the wilderness. And so this is uh, Deuteronomy chapter 8. Uh, and we're going to read from verse uh, 3. Uh, he humbled you, God humbled you, and let you hunger, and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Um, your clothing did not wear out on you, and your uh, foot did not swell these 40 years in the wilderness. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord God disciplines you. Um, Jesus here is saying, I'm not going to make the same mistake. I'm not going to look at my temporary perceived need, which is very valid, right? Would it have been wrong for Jesus to have turned the stone into bread? Would it, would it have been a sin? Like just as an action? No, no. Wouldn't have been. Um, but what was wrong is in this moment where he was being called to essentially take matters in his hand rather than surrender and trust that the father would, would take care of him and therefore not uh, be kind of his own boss, even though this is God. Um, but he chose to surrender. And that is exactly the point here. Man does not live by bread alone. You are not your impulses. You're not your impulses. You are not your needs. Uh, do not justify any of them. Do not let any of them become a source of compromise. Do not let Satan corrode you through these needs. But here's the reality. God who loves you, God who made you with your desires, like your actual desire, your desires to be loved, your desire for connection, whether it be sexual or just you know, human connection, your desire for food, your de all your appetites, God made them. God instilled them in you, specifically the ones that you have. And God wants to fill them. That's the irony. God actually wants to fill them. But will you take matters into your own hands or will you trust that, hey, I don't need to live by bread alone. I can live on every word that, uh, that, that proceeds from the mouth of God. Because guess what? He provided manna in the wilderness. I didn't need to grumble and shout at him. He provided the manna. I, I didn't need to, uh, you know, complain or worry about wandering through the wilderness because my clothes didn't wear out. My feet didn't swell. We made it to the promised land. 40 years later, he brought us here. So, yeah, so that, so the, 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 the temptation to doubt where you come from, from a good loving father who, who wants to meet your needs and who wants to be in relationship with you and he'll try to make you doubt it with appetite, with your appetites. 
Um, okay, let's have a look at the second one. Uh, verse 5. Then the devil took uh, Jesus to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands, they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Uh, Jesus said to... Oh, well, before we get to that. Um, okay, so Satan grabs Jesus, you know, teleported by Arianu. Is it literal or like vision, whatever? Um, bottom line is high, highest point in the temple, the temple being God's hotspot presence like God dwells here this is where God is and he's at the temple he's at the highest point and he says off you go if you are the son of God again identity statement like if that's who you are then jump off prove it prove it go on we're in we're in the place where God says that he is jump off he'll catch you he'll send his his angels to catch you and look it's not just me saying it, Jesus. It's the Bible. And he quotes, uh, he quotes Psalm 91. And he quotes Psalm... Can you think of another time in the Bible where Satan quotes God incorrectly uh, to try to get someone to do something wrong? Tempt someone to do something wrong? Yeah, look like literally at the beginning of the Bible and, and you will see, uh, you know, Satan saying to Eve... Oh, sure, surely God didn't tell you to do this with the tree. And he misquotes God and he twists it and, and he makes it about something that it's not about. Um, and that's exactly what's going on here. Psalm 91, I'll let you kind of read in your own time. But essentially, Psalm 91 um, is, a, is, a, is a poem and a prayer about how God is faithful when his people are surrendered to him. And uh, how he will protect and guard and love and cherish those who surrender to him. Uh, and here Satan says, no, no, no. Let me just grab what I want to grab here. And uh, what it's actually about is like, oh, look, it's a formula. If you just do this, then God will do this. How many times have we grabbed scripture and tried to make it a formula? Hey, uh, God, like you promise if I give my tithes, you will shower me with blessings or whatever else. I like the prosperity gospel is literally like this thing from Satan right here. Right. It's it's how do I how do I twist God's hand? How do I maneuver him to do what I want? How do I uh, manipulate him? Um, and like. That's what Satan is wanting. So what Satan is playing at here is he's playing at um, the conditional love aspect, the, the belonging. Like, do you really belong to the father? Does he really love you? Does he really care about you? Well, prove it. Like, twist his arm. See what happens. Surely if he really loved you and you twisted his arm, he'd do something for you. He'd, he'd, he'd show that he cares about you. And we do that all the time. We do it all the time. And what he's really doing here, the, the, the method um, of attack here, is he's working on this sense of approval. He's trying to get Jesus to experience approval through an illegitimate means. What he's saying is, give up your life. Go on, throw yourself off here. 
so that God can save you, so that me and God and everyone and you will all experience the fact that you're approved by God and that he really does care about you and all this kind of stuff. Um, The irony is that Jesus is going to lay down his life and he is going to do it because God the Father asked him to do it. And God will not intervene. God will, the Father will allow it to happen. And Jesus knows this. And the irony is that that is the way that Jesus knows that he experiences the Father's approval. Because he has the authority to lay down his life and pick it back up again. Um, The reality is that we do try to twist God's arm. We do try to twist it um, in all sorts of different areas and domains. And we do try to obtain our sense of approval not even from God. Like, think about, think about the last time you felt approved of. What did that look like for you? How godly was it? Like, did it come from a place of uh, self-sacrifice, authenticity, surrender, uh, putting God first? Or did it come from a place of, like, ego and self-gratification? And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look cute so I get, you know, 10,000 likes or whatever. Or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know... Uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't even know. But like, what did it look like? And yet, like, this is what the world wants from us. This is literally like social media. This is literally like Satan won a really fantastic um, uh, prize with social media. It is literally the way we're wired is to experience approval by laying things down that we shouldn't be laying down. And uh, God... Uh, doesn't want you to lay anything down that you shouldn't lay down. God just wants you to experience approval for the fact that who you are and the fact that he loves you and he knows you and he made you. Um, and he doesn't, he doesn't want you to twist his arm. He just wants you to experience what he has to offer. You don't need to twist his arm. That's, that's, the, that's the ultimate reality. You don't need to twist his arm. Um, so how does Jesus answer? He says... Uh, Again, it is written, so shut up, mate. Quote your Bible properly. This is, this is what's actually written. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. That, uh, he's quoting Deuteronomy again. Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 6, verse 16. Um, I.e., like, no, I'm not going to twist God's arm. No. Like, first of all, completely ignores this whole thing. Like, if you are the son and whatever, like, um, just, no, I'm not going to twist his arm. Like, I know, I know who I am. I know that he approves of me. I don't need to prove it to you, to me, to anyone else. I am approved of. Full stop. Um, yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, let's look at the next one. Verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, uh, said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Okay, so what didn't happen this time? What didn't happen was if you are the son of God. It just was, uh, hey, look at all the kingdoms of the world. All these I will give to you if you bow down to me. Not if you are the son. Not working. Let's move on. All right. This is purpose. This, this is a, uh, what, what, what Satan here is, is, is trying to tempt Jesus in, and, and the method that he's trying to tempt Jesus in is Jesus' actual purpose, his actual, like, why he's here. 
Um, you, we all have a purpose, right? And it's all unique for every single one of us. <clears throat> and your purpose is both part of your identity, but it's also an outpouring of your identity, right? Um, Jesus' identity as God's son, uh, uh, the, 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 the son of the father, equal to the father, um, and as the, the one who is loved by the father and the chosen one of the father, the Messiah, his identity therefore entails his purpose, which is he will be the king. He is the king. That, like, Jesus came to usher in the kingdom of God. He is the king of the kingdom, right? Um, so uh, what does Satan do? He takes him to, again, vision or whatever, tall place, see the kingdoms of the world. And the, the irony, uh, I feel like it's ironic, um, is that uh, he, it says all the kingdoms of, or kingdoms of the world and their glory, as if there is anything glorious apart from the king himself kind of thing. But anyway, um, so he takes, he takes him to this place. He shows him the kingdoms and he says, hey, uh, you're supposed to be the king, right? Well, you don't need to do anything. You, you know, you've got a long road ahead. Satan knows, well, presumably knows, like what Jesus's life is all geared towards, that he will go to the cross. Um, and, uh, uh, and he says, no, no, I'll just give it to you. I'll give you this, uh, what you are supposed to be king of. Um, if you just fall down and worship. And this is what Satan does. He will lie to you. How many times have you, have you looked at something on sale and you've been like, man, this thing, it will complete me. This is like, if I just, like, man, that's it. I'm done when I got this last dress. I'm done when I got this last, uh, I don't know, collectible item, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Those of you who know me. Um, <laughs> And uh, the whole thing is, uh, it's like, no, like, no, that's not the end. That's not the, where, where it's all kind of go. Your purpose is not to finish off what you ought to obtain this or to, that's not your purpose, right? Your purpose is not in the six-figure salary. Your purpose is not in the status that you want to uh, achieve. Your purpose is not in your relationships your pur- or, you know, or how many kids you have or whatever. Your purpose ultimately is somewhere deeper and it's something that cannot be bought or bartered for. And yet here Satan's saying he's trying to barter for, for Jesus' purpose, his mission. Saying, I will give you, I will complete your mission. You just need to do this one thing. And the obvious thing here, um, although in the moment where we're tempted, it's not so obvious, uh, but the obvious thing here is like, if Jesus bows down to Satan, does he really have ownership of anything? No, right? Like, if you're bowing down to someone, then that person is still above you. So even whatever you have, that person owns, right? So the idea is that there is no way to barter or shortcut your way to your purpose or to achieve it on your terms. There is something behind the desire for the six-figure salary. There's something behind the desire for the relationship status. There's something behind the desire for the influence that you want to have in your life that is godly and true and that cannot be shortcutted, that cannot be manipulated, that cannot be bartered for, bargained for, or obtained through a uh, means that is not godly. 
Um, and uh, I'll, I'll, sh I'll share with you a, a personal example. Um, there, there was a period of time, especially shortly after um, our kids were born, my, my daughter was born, my firstborn, um, and I just like, just something, it lit a fire in me where I wanted to invest. Like I just had this, part of it was like fear about security and like provision and, and all this kind of stuff. But part of it was just like, I just desired to invest my time, my income, my life into something that I would see grow and become something meaningful. And it was eating me up. Like it really was like, I talked to many of you about this um, at various points in my journey. I'm still on this journey. Um, but, uh, but God brought me to this place. Uh, it was literally at our last retreat. Plug, the retreat's coming this year. It's going to be great. At our last retreat, um, where uh, um, literally, like, I just kind of, like, broke down and cried. I went up the front, and the preacher who, who was there at the time, he was like, I sense a desire for, uh, for um, what do you say, significance, I think, or, or something like that. And uh, he said, uh, don't invest your, your energy in temporary things. Invest it in people. And a uh, knife to my heart, like, honestly, like, I cried and cried. And, uh, and it, like, it, that, is, that is exactly it. And, and so I've taken steps, and uh, I'm still figuring it out. But bottom line is, uh, that's what's behind that, that need, that, that, that purpose. It's not a bad thing to have that, that drive, that purpose, that ambition. Um, and, but, but it is bad if you are going to try to get it through a, an illegitimate means, right? So what is it that your ambition is for? What is it that you think your purpose is? Are you trying to obtain it through an illegitimate means? This is an illegitimate means. Satan cannot provide what Jesus' purpose and his ambition uh, ultimately will be, right? It's just, it's just not going to happen. And also, the thing here is, Jesus knows, if Satan doesn't know, at least Jesus knows. The journey towards the fulfillment of his purpose is a journey marked with pain and suffering and ultimately death, right? Like, he knows three years I'm going to die. And now Satan stands before him and says, you don't have to. Whether or not he knows what he's saying or not, you could debate that. But, like, you don't have to. Just bow down to me. And it strikes a nerve. Because what does Jesus say in verse 10? Be gone, Satan. The first time Jesus doesn't quote, quote scripture. The first time where Jesus just responds. And if you know your Bible, can you think of another time where Jesus says, be gone, Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Yeah, Peter, right? You don't need to die, Lord. No, like, get behind me, Satan. Be gone, Satan. This visceral like response, because guess what? This is the last temptation. This is one of the first temptations that Jesus faces. This is going to be the last temptation. Literally, while he's on the cross, people will be shown, if you're the son of God, why don't you take yourself down from here? And he remains. Because it is precisely because he's the son of God. It's precisely because who he is entailed. The cross is not... Uh, just a torture device. The cross is his throne. The cross is the inauguration of the kingdom. And that is so painful. But, but that's what he was willing to do for you and I. And that's, that's the example that we have. 
So he says, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He again quotes Deuteronomy chapter six. Um, and then the devil left him. There's no more to say. Um, you and I will all and, and continuously, and there might be one or two or maybe all three, but, but there might be one or two specific things that constantly keep coming up for you. Temptations. And I want you to think about it, reduce it down, reduce it down to either um, it's an appetite, a temptation towards an appetite, a temptation towards approval, or a temptation towards ambition. Um, three A's, uh, make it easy. Um, and, uh, and it's either going to make you doubt where you come from, who you belong to, or what your purpose is. And if you can understand what it is that is your Achilles heel, what it is that Satan knows how to get you with, if you can understand that, um, not only not only is it going to help you push back and, and whatever else, but it's going to help you draw near to God, because in that place, in that place, God will tell you who you are. God will tell you um, what every thing that you're about is. Um, and there's Joshua. Um, so let's close our eyes. And I'm just going to challenge you right now. I'm going to challenge you to try to think of this. Appetite, approval, ambition. What is it? What is it that gets you? Maybe it's all three. Maybe there are appetites and a level of approval from illegitimate places and ambition that you want to meet in illegitimate, through illegitimate means um, and appetites that you want to fill illegitimately. Like maybe it's all three. Maybe it's one. Maybe it's a couple. But bottom line is let God probe your heart right now. Invite him in. You are his son. You are his daughter. He loves you. Who he loves. And with who, whom he is well pleased. That's who you are. That is actually who you are. You take every other bit of it away. That is who you are. To get back to that place. To get back to that place. The invitation is to say that you need him, that you want him, that you can't do it without him, and to surrender whatever it is you need to let go of. And then to tell someone so that they know you and they can help you along the journey. Dear Lord, we thank you so much for the time that we can spend together Thank you that you love us, that you say that we belong to you, that 
that you're pleased with us. Um, Lord, you made the heavens and the earth. You went to the cross. You um, intervened in our lives in so many different ways, not just through your work on the cross, but like in every moment. Um, It is hard to um, understand how much you love us, Lord, but please help us get a glimpse um, and help us Help us believe you when you say these things about us and help us know what's in us that we need to let go of, Lord. Um, In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.